Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Cotton in the Rocket Chip. I am your host, Lennox Mars Jr. And this is season one, episode 33. And this episode is going to be called How to Maximize Your Talents in the COVID Economy. And so... First and foremost, I want to thank my audience for tuning in, and I have over 200 listens and counting, and I, I want to thank you guys for listening in, and um, I haven't been posting and um, recording in a while because I've just been going through a lot of different um different channels and different avenues as far as um, looking at multiple streams of income and um, I've been successful in some and not so successful in others so it, 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 it demanded my direct attention so it took away from the recording but um, I do have to say um, in this time, I'm looking for, in this economy, in COVID economy, I would say because you, you can't have a physical apparatus, because you can't have physical buildings um, and the interaction is, is limited, um, it is forcing me to look at how businesses work. For example, um, Warren Buffett did something very impressive. Um, as of recently, when COVID happened, he sold all of his airline shares pretty much below market value to get rid of it. And he said he made a miscalculation. And in that miscalculation, he said he didn't take into account this type of event to then affect um, prices so much. And so he no longer look to invest into airline stock and um, in uh, in the same vein in the same category is that I, I'm looking at um, not so much physical things for example uh, real estate will always be something you can do but um, the type of real estate that one has to engage in um it might not be in this economy for like the buyer, the buy and holder, but the investor I've seen is making good money and good strides because a lot of people are um, selling or they're downsizing their houses. So it leaves a, a window for investors who know who are who are savvy to do um, to buy properties at below market value because the interest rates are pretty low right now you can probably get a refinance or get a, a, a mortgage loan for two two and a half percent um, when mortgage rates were as high as like four point four point five five percent um, before the pandemic so these are the best rates that they had in almost over a decade but um Right now, I've been looking at the digital space. I've been looking at uh, internet, the internet, 
I've been looking at very uh, like online businesses. I've been looking at online products, things of that nature to sell. Um, T-shirts, not just uh, selling hawking T-shirts, but um, looking at um, Teespring, Redbubble, and Amazon merch because virtually they produce and package your work and they take a percentage while you get a percentage and all you have to do is basically design. So I'm looking at um, the online space and I'm looking at uh, what they would call disruptive marketing or disruptive businesses, something that shakes up uh, a pretty much a stable business model so almost like uber uber was disruptive to cab services livery cab services yellow cab services um uber was is and lyft is very disruptive it almost pretty much gutted the industry um same thing with airbnb airbnb was very disruptive it affected the hotel market in ways that they they couldn't they stabilized, but they really couldn't recover because it's it's far way cheaper and more accessible for people to to access Airbnb. And there were whole businesses being made via Airbnb or there's Turo. Turo is an app where one can basically rent their car as they would, as someone would at a, a Avis or Hertz or Enterprise at a very low market value. So you can rent your car uh, for the weekend or you can rent a luxury car if you have one and you can make money and funds for that. So there's different ways that people can be disruptive. So it's looking at, um, at businesses in markets that are relatively stagnant and how you could be disruptive. And one thing I noticed is that um, in these markets, nothing is owned by Lyft. Nothing is owned by Uber. Uber doesn't own a fleet of cars. Uber, they don't drive themselves. So what Uber is doing is utilizing the individual's time the individual's car and the time of the consumer and all they all they have is the intellectual property of the app but they don't own space they they need not own any space so they they have no overhead Um, and that's what I'm noticing for this type of economy or this type of new wave of industry is that they don't own anything you know the the millionaires and billionaires of old they owned things like um for example carnegie he owned u.s steel he owned um standard oil he owned those things and um he was a billionaire for he was one of the richest men in the world in his time and they owned a lot of it they owned the property you know the old coal baron they owned the mine they owned the the land under the mine they pretty much owned the the mining town um and 
that's how they made their money through land and which other people you can own money through land but now the what's important to note in this landscape is that the ownership is in, in the intellectual property it's in the app development it's in the user experience but it, it's they don't own anything they don't own any of it for example airbnb they own no real estate property which is is fascinating they own no real estate they own not one building but they're able to access places around the world for their consumers to use. And um, one thing I, I, I noticed in this economy is that the malls are tanking. Even the brick and mortar stores, for example, The Gap, the Gap owes Simon Mall almost close to $65 million, something around those lines. The Gap owes, and that's just one store. That's the Gap um, nationwide. So just imagine Simon Mall being uh, the biggest mall industry in the United States and having one store to owe them 50, 65 million dollars and there's multiple stores in the mall so that that that's it's drastic so as we continue on in 2020 there there's a lot of industries that may no longer exist but there are some that will um, will flourish um, out of this this event. For example, there's a um, there is a a pool of individuals who are college educated. There always was a pool of individuals who were college educated who couldn't find jobs in the market. So there's an oversaturation of individuals with degrees and this is one of the reasons why I um, I know I I knew that I had to make the jump into working for myself or becoming self-employed or an entrepreneur so to speak is because when you look at the data of who's being hired and at what rate and you look at the market of how many, just say how many liberal arts degrees are injected into the market, how many communication degrees are injected into the market, how many engineering degrees are in injected into the market, math degrees, so on and so forth. So when you, when you really look at the, the data set, right, just for New Jersey alone, every year Rutgers graduates roughly around 20,000, let's just say 20,000 students. I think it's a lot more than that. Kane University may graduate a good 12,000 students. Um, there's Drew, there's Ryder University, there's NJCU, there's NJIT, there's Seton Hall. That's just 
and then there's Rowan, there's there's several other, you know, there's Rutgers North, Rutgers Camden. There's a lot of schools just in New Jersey alone. So let's just say in New Jersey alone, they graduate, just to say 100,000 students. Out of that 100,000 students, there was, a hundred, there was another pool of individuals last year who didn't have jobs and who were still looking for jobs in the year before that. Um, and the type of job that they had. So they're still seeking. And when you do the numbers at how many degrees are being produced, there is an oversaturation of degrees in the market for there's more degrees than jobs. And so when you do basic math or when you look at just if you took a, a economics class, whether you took micro, you took macro, you took basic economics in college, there's supply and demand. A lot of people don't like to look at themselves as a cog in the wheel of this machine, but really we are cogs in the wheel. Like for a government, a government in order to run, they have a, a scale, they have a breakdown of how many jobs are needed in order to run the government. They, this is a, a, a fact, you know, um, we learned it in, in like public administration. So it, in order for America, the United States to run and how many spaces they have, you, you need a certain amount of administrative workers. You, should, you need a certain amount of doctors, lawyers. So all of this is added up and that's how we start to categorize and place worth on jobs. And one thing we, we don't like to, to see is that whenever the government is there's a shortage, they'll have their their data set where they'll say like you know we're running low on stem so stem is the, the math and sciences so they do two things well they do multiple things but the united states they'll try to breed um their own homegrown students from the ground up so they'll they'll have a uh they'll give grants and loans to those who students who have an affinity for the maths and sciences and they'll try to fast track them up so they'll so they give incentives incentives for to the universities to build these students up in, into these stem programs so that way they can have more doctors or more nurses or because they'll always say like there's a nurse shortage there's a doctor shortage there's an engineer shortage so they would use that to their advantage and they would bring up the individuals they need with these grants so they'll give a federal grant to a public institution to have or to promote and market to the stem programs and so and then those colleges would either give scholarships or something of that nature and and have them work out some agreement to have you work for the federal government or work um, to to become employed in this field they did that with the the farmers, they did it with the radio, uh, telecommunications back in the day where they were just giving free classes for those who wanted to learn the radio. This was like in the 1920s, 1930s. So you see like broadcasting was, was big because that was the thing of the time, the wave of the future, you know, broadcasting and television broadcasting, that sort of thing. Um, and they were even selling uh, rights to 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 individuals to buy radio stations to encourage this so whenever the government wants something they'll 
tap into whether it's private institutions or they'll tap into the colleges or wherever they need to in order to do, to devote this money or these resources in order to get the people that we need in order to sustain the economy, right? Or they'll do something called the well they call the brain drain. So we'll put someone on a K1 I believe it's a K1 visa, but we'll get um some individuals from other countries like uh there was a nurse shortage um i want to say in the 90s or the, the 1980s and 1990s where there was an influx of the filipino population where we were just taking the filipino nurses from there and we were giving them um high paying salaries because there was a nurse shortage so there were a lot of immigrants from the philippines a lot of immigrants from the west indies those individuals doctors nurses a lot of um, doctors from india they would come over and they would put them on visas and um and have them pretty much be doctors whenever we we are lacking that um that profession or that occupation so what i what i'm going to say is is that the government makes a way but however you as a person need to know where you lie in this machine and one thing i noticed is that um coming out of college i had a labor studies and employment relations degree which was um you could i could have, I could have went into labor i or i could have went into human resources but when the side i wanted to go towards human resources which has great job security however to get a job in human resources you one must have experience and skills which i did not have any of you know i had general um knowledge i had internship experience but i didn't you you have to have very good um experience moving going forward um into that field in order to be desirable so because you have to know what you're doing and so it was it, it was almost like a cult so and you have to kind of know what you're doing so i, I kind of scrapped that route and i just realized that moving forward i had to jump make the jump or make the switch because there are so many people to compete right and so now america is a very global it's a a uh it's a global playing ground another thing that people don't want to recognize is that your your jobs or whatever who are you you're competing against you're also competing against the best and the brightest who are in Japan or the best and the brightest who are in Russia or the best and the brightest who are in China or the best and the brightest who are in India uh, for certain jobs. Um, and, for, and for certain industries, it's very competitive. Um, so in the IT fields, in the, uh, the engineering fields, the, um, the med pre-med fields, nurses, um, you can see the direct competition, so to speak. Um, and we don't want to always say like, you know, what, what, what is the competition? But once again, when you understand business, business is personal because business is war. War is, business is warfare. Um, so that's why some people take, um, take a hostile stance toward immigration i don't um i actually am, i'm very i invite it actually because it it shows the the worth of 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 everywhere of everyone and everywhere it showcases a a, a different type of of um 
a lens to me. Um, but I say this to say that once you understand your space, the value of, of the degree that you possess, the value of, and level of education that you have in comparison to those who are there, and you look at yourself as any any basic economist say, you know, there's supply and demand. There's a number of individuals with this degree or a certain a degree like it who has the supply and there's little demand. So then you drive down wages, things become lower. So now the 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 degree that you you said was worth let's just say seventy thousand in nineteen eighty. It might have been 60,000 in 1990, 20 and 2000, it went down probably five to 10 grand. 2010, you're probably looking at 50, 40. Anything after 2010, it starts to decrease down because of the, the demand of it all and, and the industry. So now today, it's probably like 40,000. Um, I seen some friends on Facebook post that someone wanted them. Uh, they posted a a um, they well, it was pretty much a screenshot, but it showed that they were asking this employer was asking some individual for a master's degree to pay them five sixty eight, fifteen sixty eight, excuse me. Um, and I was like, Phew. but I believe it um, because there's a pool, and now that COVID is ha- is here. Um, there's a, a lot of people who are unemployed. Those, you, you know, there's something called scarcity. And um, the higher the pool of individuals and then the less jobs that there is, they, they're more desirable so then they can now control how much they pay an individual as long as it's not under minimum wage. So in America, you need to have a minimum wage. However, it's up to the, the job and what they can afford. They can say, well, I can, I can choose to pay somebody 1568 because we have a number of individuals who have master's degrees or who have college degrees who need jobs and they know it. So they, we, we just going to give them peanuts so when you understand like how these things work I just chose not to play the game anymore I just was like I can't play it anymore I play a different game and I think the for the COVID and for those who are coming out of COVID I, I highly recommend that you own something and um and the something that you should own should be something that's automated if you can, it should be something that you can't, it's in your wheelhouse, not something, something that you can do. So like I said before, there's a pool of individuals who are going to be looking for jobs. So if you have a, a college degree, or if you have skills in HR or a law degree, or if you have the detailing and the fine tuning, there are a lot of jobs or a lot of people or a pool of candidates who, who would need resume building, resume writing and interview skills. It's highly desirable right now because there's a pool of individuals who will need to to sharpen up those skills in order to get the job necessary. Um, headhunters. 
people who are sifting out um, more than ever, people who are sifting out quality uh, candidates for for jobs. So if you, you know, instead of being like a quote unquote run of the mill recruiter, you can just be like a boutique recruiter where I'm hiring the best and the brightest for these big firms, these Fortune 500 companies to show that you like um you need this this expertise or this pool um and those people get paid handsomely for their efforts so there are many different ways those are just two different ways the other part is that there is an an undercurrent of individuals who are laid off so your your um custodial workers your your janitorial staff your office admin staff the the support roles um individuals they may need jobs as well too because they may have been the first terminated and which is unfortunate because those people come with a a high level of skill but they may not have had a college degree but since they are quote-unquote least desirable and I, i hate using that term because everyone has skill Everyone is is trained. Everyone knows something in order to make them to the next, to get them to the next level, or at least provide for a family. So everyone has some some level of skill. But in the economy now, it it, it um it's showing that now it's feast or famine, and it's very hard out here for some people. Uh, there's a lot of people who's going through food insecurity. There's a lot of people who are going through um, crushing debt, um, which is unfortunate. So there's a there's a lot that's going on now um, that we we have to be mindful of. And please keep in mind. Uh, for the stimulus checks to uh twelve hundred dollars was probably like three or four months ago so that money has been spent already and um the stimulus check was was probably something that people couldn't hold on to anyway because they had debt prior to that so in the covid economy i'm looking me personally i'm looking at a online facets i'm looking at things that people need or will need in the future so staple items um people will always need toilet paper people will always need you know brick and mortar things people will always need water bottled water they will always need light bulbs or something like that so i'm looking at a product or service and then I'm looking at things that people believe that they need or they, they can't they, they feel as though they can't do without. And and so especially me being a part of the the black African American community, there's some things that it, it's a staple, a niche was inside a niche. So it's almost like hair care products seasonings spices 
um, personal items um, because we we care a lot about um, our appearance. So that's something that's a part of the list, like high maintenance and upkeep for for mainly for Black and African Americans or are um, always on the list you know there, there are some things that they just can't do without um, whether it be a, a lotion or a a facial cream a a, um, a a natural something for a natural hair care product those are, are things that you can look into which is not readily easy to tap in because you have to go through certain um, trials you have to go through certain um you have to get licensings for certain things but it's always good to look at because um those things will won't go anywhere especially if you tap into your market and your niche um but i would say online digital space is always the way to go ebay accounts making it easy to to do ebay or getting on amazon because amazon itself is um replacing the mall so to speak so the mall itself is almost a, a i wouldn't say dying but it would be something like the movie right the movie theater once again another disruptive uh market was netflix netflix was, is very disruptive it pretty much put a dent in the movie theater industry um and people said it was going to kill the movie theater industry. I didn't think so because the movie theater industry almost killed Broadway. It almost killed the plays, but it didn't kill the plays. It just it became lesser than what it was. So back then, Broadway was the entertainment to go see a, a go to the theater was almost like going to the movie. That's why they call it the movie theater, you know, to, to go to a live Broadway play or a, a type of play where there's live actors is um is something special and people still go to it but the theater ha has been a a medium that has not recovered it's only theater enthusiasts who go to the movies or you go on a special occasion um where i often took my fiance we, we went to plays we go to we we haven't gone in recently but we've we've been to several plays and um the movie theater is what took over that the movie theater was the picture the motion picture was disruptive to the theater and now what netflix is and these online streaming services is disruptive to the movie theater industry and so for me i think i believe that the movie theater industry will be will evolve into something like or devolve into something like broadway so it'll be something that you can go to on an outing event for the family It'll almost be like how you would one would go to like a Six Flags or it would be something to do for the family. It's still around. It's an event, but it wouldn't be something that we regularly went to because I know for Americans, the 1980s, I would say the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s movies were like the thing. Like, you know, it was they made these big blockbuster movies before like the family, you know, it was 
they made a lot of money off of, of giving movies to kids or giving movies towards families like Disney. So it was a staple in the American economy for so long. But when you realize that you can actually watch a movie from the comfort of your own home and it became an allure to stay home because you can watch the same quality movie and get your own custom made popcorn from the store it really you realized everything in the movie theater was overpriced so i can just enjoy the same quality movie for 8.99 with a netflix subscription and i'm good to go i don't have to pay 60 dollars for two tickets and popcorn and nachos and some drinks i can be home and do that but so i think those things are are going to evolve but always looking into the internet space because there's there's always room for the internet the the, the internet is to me synonymous with um something called uh napoleon hill called infinite intelligence right and um I won't go into it in, in, in big detail, but the internet is something like that. It's pretty much a, a, a playground. And so whatever you want to put in this ground, it, it, it will come true. So if you want to, to look at nonsense for 12 hours, you can do that on the, on the internet. But if you, if you want to build something, whether it's a website or an app or something where you can attract people and um, consumers to your products or your services, you literally don't have to, once you create it, you don't have to lift a finger because it will be automatic. So all you're doing is just managing this site or this installation that you created. And you, it's pretty low overhead. And then once you set it up the way you want to, as long as you have a and a good looking store, something that people can trust to put their information in, you need not, you don't have to own a, a brick and mortar. You don't have to own, there's no overhead. There's no operational cost. There's no lights, there's no rent. So the internet is something where I would say we need to invest in all people um, to have something to invest in because it, it just works in your benefit because you literally can create something with no money down on the internet or very minimal fees. You probably have to pay for a good um, cash service, like whether it's um, Cube or PayPal, PayPal Business. You know, I think there's uh, maybe a cash app, but PayPal Business, Cubed. Um, there's several different ways, payment uh, methods where you can collect payment on the internet so that people can trust that they're, they're making their payment to a secured site. And once you have that, you're, you're pretty much off to the races to sell your products and just make sure that your product is filled. So you, you can make a lot of money instead of like having to manage people, you just manage a site and the only person you need to manage is yourself. So the internet is, a, a, to me, um, the last bastion of, of, um, of where million, millionaires and billionaires are, are made. Back then, 
the way millionaires were made where you had to be leaders of men and women you had you could you had to been like a huckster or a shyster um you had to be very cutthroat because those individuals they owned industries they had gatekeepers to those industries so one or two people may be let in and the rest are out the internet there are no gatekeepers there are the the sky is the limit quote-unquote because the gatekeepers they they aren't there they, they they can't police the internet the way they do the gate is wide open or so if it was a gate the gate is either broken or if you can only imagine there's a gate but you can literally walk around the gate and it's wide open country so that's what the internet is and um and the gate being that you you just need an internet account you need something where you can get on the internet and internet is very cheap nowadays so it's eight dollars for a service or you can literally hotspot your phone pay for a phone subscription get unlimited and and be on the internet to 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 work your plan so the landscape is all always often and always changing and we're watching it change minute by minute um and I know I spoke to my cousin and he has a very good podcast called The Manual. And he just he he does um, he makes a lot of his money off the Internet as well, or off like um, Internet sites or off Zoom, you know, courses. People are using courses to create courses like Udemy. There's a lot of different ways that um one can make money but it, it's up to how you want to make money and how do you want to present yourself on the internet and i think once you discover that then you can have a good guide post on how to move forward so i just wanted to share that information of that knowledge that i have to you and i'll be doing that more often because i feel as though I, I haven't had I didn't get that when um when growing up I had to learn a lot of it or I'm still self-learning myself and um and I would say that to my audience the one good thing about college um I took a class with a professor a, he, he's my older frat brother professor Plummer, and he often said what did you guys come to college for and me being the the, the, <laughs> the fast talker that I am, I said, I, I came to college to get a job. Like, you know, like, what else is there? And he said, there's more to college than just trying to get a job. You know, you, he said, you, you came to college in order to be wielders of information. And I've often um, met people who've said that. I met the, the African gentleman at the... Uh, the gas station where you know once you, you when you get a college degree it's to to be a supervisor and to be a leader of of labor to to supervise others in their labor and um it's not only that when you go to college it it taught me something it taught me how to break down material three months at a time 
three, let's say three to four months at a time to concentrate my efforts for three to four months at a time on a single purpose, well, or multiple purposes because you had multiple classes, but really engage yourself in this material that you may not have ever saw before. And then you get graded on it. But the only thing in the real world, there is no, the grade is your results, right? So whether you're opening a web store or, or, um, or starting a business, the way you're graded is if consumers or people are, are patronizing your business, they're, they're coming back to your business and they tell you that they like it because of these things. That's when you need to take note that these are the things that, that are working. And then if you lose a customer, you would want to know why you lost a customer. For some reason, that's, kind of, that's almost the hardest thing to know is like, why did a customer didn't come back? Was it the service? Was it the food? And then usually for businesses, they learn how they lose a customer through Yelp or some, some type of, of negative review where, you know, you, you have to learn the hard way. In college, it's not really the hard way. You get a, you get a grade, but that's often negotiated. But more importantly, in the real world, your grade is how one is patronizing your business or how you can attract customers to to do so. And once you start getting a good following in, in core, you, you start listening to those people because they matter. They're actually putting money in your pocket. They're actually they actually care about the product or service that you're presenting. So that's the level that you have to get is where you have an audience where they can tell they feel comfortable telling you that I like this. I like that because they're not so quick to leave the business because they really they're, they're really invested into the product. And you see that oftentimes with big comp companies, but it doesn't seem that way. Almost like Apple. Apple does product testing and they may release a, a software. They may release a, a new um gadget or a phone they're really giving and those phones are being tested by their loyal brand consumers the ones who are going to buy the first generation of anything that they produce because they're just brand loyalists and so they reward their loyalty by testing out new materials and and tell and, and getting their input as opposed to getting society's input or the masses input because even the masses are going to follow something or be the trend Anyway, they're going to follow trends, but there's the, the core following who's going to be there regardless. So you don't ever want to lose your core audience or your core purpose, because those are the people who are going to be out in the rain 6 a.m. for whether well, 4 to 6 a.m. waiting for your product release. And those are the people that you need to identify. So once you identify those people, it's how do you keep them engaged? But I think I've given you a lot of game today. This is Cotton in a Rocket Ship. And I thank you once again for listening in. And peace.